0: It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see everybody who's seen fit to come out and worship uh, together this morning. Uh, it's very true, and I think somebody here had said it before, that when uh, congregational teachers give lessons, that many times we benefit greatly from the topic in which we're studying and, and presenting on. And this lesson for me is no different. Uh, in fact, this lesson is a very uh, big struggle that I have in my life and maybe that sounds funny to some of y'all because I always perhaps I seem like I'm a big upbeat happy positive person but truth of it is I struggle greatly with with having a ne- negative attitude towards things and uh, self-esteem I've got a big self-esteem problem so I'm asking y'all that you keep me in your prayers um, as I, I deal with that um, that's just a, a problem that I have and so as I was preparing this lesson I was encouraged by Paul and some of his uh, exam the examples we see in scriptures and how Paul dealt with some situations in his life, and um, and I think it's something that we can benefit from greatly as well. There's a story uh, about a farmer who was getting kind of frustrated with some various issues that he was having on his farm. There were some areas that it wasn't growing the way he wanted to, and and uh, he had seen his neighbor's farms, and they were just so much better than his farms. And, and he just finally decided, you know what, this is going up for sale, and I'm going to go buy me that farm that I really want. And so he hired a realtor to help him sell his farm. And his realtor said, okay, well, let me put together a listing and, and get some pictures. And before I publish it, I'll let you see it so you can see, you know, make sure it's with the way you want uh, this farm to be uh, uh, listed. So the, the realtor came over and he took some pictures and he went back to his office and put together the listing and he advertised he, he called up the farmer and he said, OK, I think I've got it ready to list in the papers and online and everything. Uh, I sent you a copy of the pictures and I was wondering if we could just kind of talk through the, the ad real quick and I can just make any changes that you want made to the ad. And so the, the farmer said, okay, what you got? And the realtor talked about this beautiful farm that had 16 acres of land and it was, it was uh, uh, it, it grew very well, it was such a pretty sight, you could see the sunset. And he said, on, on this farm sat this cute uh, farm style house with this feature and that feature and it's got a little brook that runs through the side of the farm. And and he just kind of went on and on and the, all of a sudden the, the, the line kind of went dead and the realtor said, are, are you there? and he said, yeah, I'm there. And he said, read that to me one more time, if you would. And so the realtor uh, read it to him again. And he said, don't list it. He said, that's exactly what I've been looking for. And many times we're in that same boat. Many times we're in the position. And this is an area where I struggle, where you see other people around you and you see what they have and you see the um, the jobs that they have and the things that they get to do and, and, you know, the vehicles they drive, the houses they live in, the places they get to go. And you think, man, I wish I could have that. Or, or what have I done different in my life where I didn't end up in the same place where that person did? And, and then you look at your own life and you look at the blessings that you have and you look at the cars you get to drive and the house you get to live in, the places you get to go. And you think, man... Maybe I don't have it so bad after all. And in fact, there is one poet that that explained very profoundly that the way that you look at things determines your attitudes towards it. It said, one ship sails east and another west with the same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails. Sorry, I don't know what's going on here. (sighs) Come on. Wow, it's really anticlimactic right there. Anyway, one ship sails east and another west with the same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sail and not the gale which determines the way they go. And life is like that. The, what you pay attention to, what you focus on in life, will determine the kind of decisions that you make and the attitudes that we have towards those decisions. There is nobody, in, in my opinion, nobody in this world that went through more and gave up more, second to Christ, I should say. But then the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was this man of great political influence, and I would assume he had money, he had riches, he had fame, he had everything that you would think someone would want in life, and then chose, made the decision to give it all up. And yet he says that he was all the better for it. He was one that, that truly counted his blessings. And this morning I want to spend some time uh, focusing on some of the attitudes that the Apostle Paul demonstrated and how we can uh, perhaps have a better influ- in, better look at our own life through his examples. But before we go any further, let's pray. So Paul gives us a familiar uh, message, something that we're all very familiar with in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, which is our text. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are uh, pure, sorry, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now that's a passage that uh, many of us have memorized. Uh, I grew up hearing that passage I heard grew up hearing it in the old King James since even though I've got it right in front of me I was saying the wrong words, but that's something that we hear from such a young age and it's it's embedded in us Somebody recently uh, I was talking to said how often do you meditate on scripture? How often do you truly sit there and meditate on scripture one area that uh that I've not done well in, in in the majority of my life is is studying Scripture. And I've always felt because I just, I, I didn't really, I don't, I don't really know how. And and I've, I've had to ask for some help on, you know, how do you study the Scripture? I read the Scripture, but how do you study it? And part of that comes from meditating. And so when we learn to meditate on Scripture, you look at this passage and it brings out so much more uh, uh, uh There's more to it than just the words that we read. In the world today, we see the exact opposite of what this passage, what Paul is trying to impress upon us or trying to teach us here. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you know how you always hear about the mainstream news media, how you never hear anything, uh, uh, there's way more bad stuff than good stuff. Because the bad stuff is what people like and what people are attracted to and what people want to hear. And that's because many times people's lives are so much focused on the negative that they don't know what to do with the positive. And so the news, they don't like to air the positive. And at least that's what I've heard. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But many times the media is all about getting the viewers and, and, and not losing their audience, and as a result, there's many of the news stories that are down in the dumps, you know, unfortunate things, scary things that people want to see and want to hear about. Uh, but, but I want to encourage us to break that pattern. As God's people, we have so many things in our life that we should. We, we are blessed. Every single person in this room right now is a blessed person. We all drove here this morning, and if we didn't drive, we had a friend that had a car that we could ride with. And that's a blessing. In some places, they don't even have that. In some places, they're forced to walk. And in fact, not only do they walk, they are endangering themselves walking to assemble with Christians because if somebody knew that that's what they were doing, they'd be ended, they'd be killed. And we didn't have to worry about that today. We all got up and I trust most of us probably had breakfast. If we didn't have breakfast, we likely had dinner last night and we had a great dinner. In fact, we had a better dinner last night than half of this world's population had last night. Obesity is, the biggest, is a bigger problem in America than it is in any other country in this world. And, and I'm of the opinion that a lot of that has to do with the ingredients in which we eat, not necessarily how much we eat or the food we eat. Conversation for a different time. But regardless, I don't think any of us have ever had a time where we went hungry. I'd be willing to say, I don't know your history, I don't know your past, but I'd be willing to say that you've never had a time that you didn't have a meal in front of you. I certainly haven't. In fact, there were times when I was growing up, when we went through that unfortunate business deal, where we questioned if we were gonna be able to, to, to pay the light bill, to keep the lights on. We were, we were bankrupt, we were we couldn't afford to go bankrupt. You know, we had nothing. And yet our lights never went off, our phones did. Our car got re one vehicle got repossessed. We still had another one. And so it's it's hard for me to say or to see that regardless of how much or how little you have, that you have not been blessed. And I think we're gonna see that's the case with what Paul tries to teach us. In Philippians 1, uh, I'm gonna read verses 12, 12 through 26. Paul is saying here, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice, for I know that this will, uh, Turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live, uh, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what, sh- what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all of your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be made more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, my favorite couple of verses is included at some point in this, but right here, Paul is at a pretty low point in his life. Paul mentions even in this, this portion of scripture some negative things that he's experiencing or that he's going through. And in fact, just here in this four, in these 14 verses, Paul is demonstrating some things that he's going through that is far worse than anything you or I will ever go through. Yet, where do you see the negativity there? I mean, mercy, if, if, if I have a, a tire that goes flat and I have to dip into my savings to fix the tire, I have a pity party about it. Not really, I'm just, for example. But, you know, it takes so little for us to get upset and to think, woe is me, this world stinks, I'm, I'm nothing. But yet, that's not what we see here from Paul. In this passage, Paul mentions not only unfortunate circumstances that he was dealing with, he mentions unreasonable people and an uncertain future. Those are things that we stress about often, weekly, maybe daily. But yet the example, we we see a very different example from Paul. Paul goes on to show that God was able to use those negative things in a positive way. So Paul first talks about in this passage about addressing unpleasant circumstances. In verse 12, he says that these things that he's experiencing... And, and not only here, I mean, he says it here in this passage, but the, 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 the message that Paul demonstrated in, in most of the unfortunate things that he dealt with was that God was able to use it or it was able to be used for God's glory. When we compare the unfortunate circumstances in our life to compare it to the life of the apostle Paul, where does, where does it line up? How many times have we been shipwrecked? Maybe make it a little bit more modern day. How many times have we been broke down somewhere and had no hope of getting where we were going or had no idea how we were going to get? I mean, the, the biggest example I could think of that when I was moving up here, me and Matt, north of Atlanta, broke down and we were in Dalton, Georgia, which is I, a couple hours from Atlanta, a couple hours from Chattanooga. It was the middle of the night. We called AAA. There was nobody out there and it was just us. That's nothing compared to what Paul went through. Because somebody eventually came and got us and we trusted in that. Like we knew that even if AAA doesn't come pick us up, somebody would come pick us up. Friends would come pick us up. Police would come pick us up. We weren't just going to be stranded out there like Paul had been stranded in periods of his life. How many times have we been beaten near unto death like Paul says he went through? How many times have we been arrested for our faith? You know, when they shut down uh, the world for COVID and they said, no religious gatherings, we gathered. And that was probably the closest that many of us have or ever will be to being arrested for the sake of the Lord. God forbid that the freedoms change in this country, but that was a pretty close time. But yet, even still, even in that time, many of the cops, in fact, the the police chief in Vinton had said at that point, he thought it was ridiculous. He said, we are not arresting people for going to church. you know. And so even then, when it was technically quote-unquote illegal for us to gather according to this world's rules and regulations, even then we didn't face real persecution. We could have, but we didn't. Paul went through all of these things. Yet Paul says... I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The Greek word translated for advance here has an interesting uh, feel to it. The Bible exposition commentary says this word advance is used of woodcutters who go out before an army, clearing a way through the underbrush so that the army can march forward unimpeded. That's what that word advance means. So what Paul is saying is all of these things that have happened to me have resulted in clearing the way so that the gospel might be preached more effectively. In verse uh, 13, he says, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That passage of scripture right there has become my favorite verses in the Bible, I think, at least today. That changes, as I'm sure you know. For 24 hours a day right now, Paul is chained to a Roman guard, a soldier. And each of these soldiers would serve a six hour shift, and they would chain themselves to the prisoners to make sure that the prisoners didn't get away. Now, that would stink. I mean, let's be real here. Being chained to somebody for 24 hours a day, you were this far apart. I'm sure we have all at, at one point or another said, you know, I am done peopling for the day. Paul didn't get the chance to say, I'm done peopling for the day. He was chained to this person. And that would stink. You know, Paul had to go potty being chained to a Roman guard. Everything Paul did was chained to a Roman guard. And I can't imagine being in the position of Paul being in that position where you're chained to somebody 24 hours a day and yet yet saying, but it was for the furtherance of the gospel. But it was. Because Paul realized something. He was chained to this prison, uh, prison guard. That's not how Paul looked at it. Paul looked at it that that prison guard is chained to me. And I have the opportunity to preach the gospel to him. There was no way this soldier could escape. He had a, 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 a there, there was no, no going away. The guard had to listen to him. There's a, a sister in the church I was talking to this week, and one of her friends in the church also owns a plumbing company. And uh, they go out, and they go out and do plumbing jobs all over the place. And, and so they pick up some guys here and there to go help them with plumbing, kind of like temporary workers. And he said, any time that they've got a long drive, They go pick up these temporary workers. They preach the gospel to them. I I think I know at least one. I don't know how many, but at least one of them had been converted and faithful because they had nowhere to go. They were stuck in a car with a couple of Christians for who knows how long. They used that to preach the gospel to them. And that's exactly what Paul did here. And, you know, it worked. You know how I know that? Because in the closing chapter of Philippians, in verse 422, uh, Paul says, All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. That tells me, if I understand it right, that there were at least some of the soldiers who became Christians as the result of Paul's preaching the gospel to them. Terry Bay says in his contending for the faith says, it's not certain why Paul especially includes this group in his final greetings, but perhaps it's to show the Philippians the kingdom of God had infiltrated the greatest and most significant kingdom of the world at that time. He certainly did. There's also a second positive result. In Philippians 1 verse 14, he says, and most of the brothers and sisters having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Paul is saying because of my hardships, because of the things I've had to go through, the things that I've had to deal with, being chained to a Roman guard, being shipwrecked, being all these bad things that Paul had to face that other Christians had been encouraged. They've seen how God has protected me through these difficult situations. They've seen how how God had encouraged me through these difficult situations. They've seen how I have drawn strength from the hope that I have through my risen Savior. That's powerful. Many times the negative things that we face in this life have positives to them. Many of us know when we were in the hospital with Clara, you know, that was a difficult time. And many of us had, had encouraged one another and talked to one another. And, and I recall one night in the Ronald McDonald room that Ashley and I were staying in, it was one of the first, I think it was maybe the first night that we were there. We decided, we don't know how God can use this for his glory, but we're certainly going to give him the chance to. And there were several people as a result of, of not just our attitude, but all, all of our family's attitude. In fact, when Lauren, the nurse, had called me the morning that Claire woke up, I asked her, I, I remember this, like it plays in my head like a recording. I asked her, I said, how does this? She said, Claire is trying to live. And I said, how does this happen? Like, there were 12 neurologists 12 neurologists that said it was done. It was over. She's gone. There's nothing happening up here. And I asked Lauren, I said, how does this happen? I wasn't upset. It was just, we were making decisions based on what those doctors were telling us. And she said, I don't know. She said, I can't explain it. The only thing I know is that I've seen y'all have been praying people. Who knows where Lauren's at today? I don't know. Who knows what she's dealing with in her life? Who knows what she may deal with in her future? But the example that our family and our church family demonstrated to her through that unfortunate circumstance could potentially lead her one day to seek out God. We never know how God might use our negative situations. What might happen to somebody down the road? Where they may be at down the road? And so we have to really work to to trust in the Bible and trust in God when we go through those bad things. What are we chained to this morning? Paul was chained to a Roman guard. What are we chained to? You know, Paul was chained to this Roman guard and he chose to look at that in a positive manner. And to, to, to look at it and seek out what, what the blessing in this situation might be. Are we chained to an imperfect body? Are we chained to a, a body with aches and pains and ailments, diseases, cancers, torn meniscuses? You know, like what are we chained to? We all have imperfections. We all have things about our bodies that we wish were different. I wish I had a little less body. You know, what are we chained to? Are we chained to declining health? Are we chained to a job that we don't see much of a future in? Are we chained to what we consider to be a dead end job or, or are we chained to a career path that we've chosen and, and, and now we feel unfulfilled in it or something? Are we chained to a, 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 a time in our life where we're dealing with family despairs or grief? Are we chained to the loss of a loved one? I mean, there's so many things that you and I today could determine that we are chained to, like Paul was chained to that Roman guard. But Paul saw it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. And we have that same opportunity. We can look at the things that we have And the things that we're blessed with, the things that God has given us, and we can choose to use it for the furtherance of the gospel. Like I said, I wish I had a little less body, you know, and that's something that, you know, yeah, I I can fix. I'm working on it. But yeah, you know what? I've got good feet. I can talk to people. You know, I, I still have things that I can use with this with this body to spread the gospel and to lead others to the truth. And all of us do, no matter what we're chained to, we can use it to to advance the gospel. And that's the question that I believe, and I'm convicted that we should ask ourselves. I'm trying to do a better job of that of when I'm going through things that I'm looking at the negative, thinking, how can I use this? Praying about it. Praying to God and saying, God, help me use this negative thing in my life. For your glory. The second thing Paul talks about in this passage in Philippians 1, verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. I believe Paul is saying that there's some people who were envious of him. There were some people who saw Paul as rivals, or I mean, as crazy as it sounds, competitors in serving the Lord. That's easy to fall into. You know how many times, like I said, this is a I'm preaching this to myself. You know how many times I wished I could preach like someone else, or the you know you know how many times I wished I could sing or lead singing like someone else. You know how many times I wish I could be friendly and outgoing and bubbly like someone else. That turns into envy real quick. What happens when someone becomes envious of someone else? Well, they start to try to tear them down. They gossip about them. They nitpick every detail of their life. They undermine them. They point out all the negative things they can about that person. And I believe they do this because deep down, and we've all experienced this with somebody, deep down they believe that by pulling you down, it's elevating them. We know that's not the case. And Paul, and we'll get to that here in a minute, but. That's an aspect that Paul was dealing with. (laughs) While we know Billy Graham, false teacher, right off the bat, Billy Graham was known to be a family man. He was known to be faithful to his wife. Y'all might recall uh, when Mike Pence was vice president, he got a lot of flack when he said he would never go out in public with a woman by himself that wasn't his wife. I respected him for that, and I'm sure a lot of us did. It's a very smart thing. Billy Graham was no different. Billy Graham, uh, you may remember was, was a, a preacher, a false preacher, but he would go around and he would, he would really preach at people about correcting their lives. And, and he wasn't afraid to speak out against too much, but you know what happened as a result? People started to try to find areas of his life that they could nitpick and, and pull themselves down. They may have been so convicted feeling convicted themselves that they thought if we can find an area of his life where he's you know maybe putting on a facade, that, that kind of lessens the conviction that we feel from that person. We experience that. How many times do we have a person that, that, that tell you know that, that we know and, and that's trying to correct an area in our life, but because, well, you know, He's dealt with this or he's dealt with that or whatever. You know, we'd, it's easy to do that. I'm guilty of that. Billy Graham, they were trying to go after that aspect that Mike Pence, Billy Graham would never travel anywhere or go any place with a woman that was not his wife. And so what started happening is some of these tabloids started to, to plan out. They were going to plan a woman and the hotel room that he was going to, and as soon as he walked in the door, they were going to snap pictures or, or whatever. They were trying to find an area where they could undermine what he was preaching and, and who he was. One day he was in, I think it was Paris, France, and he thought, they thought he, they thought that they got him. Billy Graham caught on to the idea, I don't know how, it never said, but he caught on to the idea that they were trying to, to plant a, a well, it's a scandal. They were trying to like plan a scandal. And so he started sending somebody to register his hotel rooms for him and then go check out the room before he went in there to make sure that it was all squeaky clean. Well, he was in Paris, France, and the tabloids got him, or so they thought. They checked with the hotel that he was staying at and found out what room that it was registered to, and it was registered to Beverly Shea. And they thought they had him and they printed it in the tabloids that Billy Graham was meeting Beverly Shea at the hotel. Well, If you know anything about Billy Graham, you'll know that George Beverly Shea was his best friend. And so in an effort to to find dirt on Billy Graham and they aired this story and it came back and blew up and they ended up going out of business. They're not in business today, the the tabloid. Was it because of that? Who knows, but they had to put print a redaction Or retraction, whatever it's called, when they found out that they were misinformed. And the thing that they were going after really wasn't true after all. That's the case in our lives. People don't like to be made to feel inferior. That's the same with me, and that's probably the same for you. And such is the case when our lives, our attitudes, and our actions condemn theirs. Even to this day, many people uh, who are in positions of prominence are subject to criticisms. When you look at the, the presidencies and the, uh, the people who are in office, and you think, how in the world in this entire country do we end up with these goofballs, You know, and these, this group of people that, that, that are up for election? Somebody told me it's because many of the people who actually should be there, they don't want the scandals. They don't want the, the criticisms and the nitpicks and, and to go every day of their life wondering what somebody's going to do to get them, get them in a bad situation. But then we get to verse 18 here. One of the most incredible verses in this part, portion of scripture, he says, what then, only that in, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I believe what Paul's teaching here is that that's the important thing. Forget about others' motives. Rather than spending your time thinking about other people's motives and other people's intentions, be glad they're preaching the gospel. Let God worry about the rest. In this, Paul rejoices. There are many times that we see attitudes of, uh, in the secular world of team, teamwork and, and, and working to get along towards a common goal. And, and if it can happen in that world, it can happen in the church. It can happen in the church in the regard of, let's just work towards preaching the gospel. Let's work towards, towards uh, uh, spreading the gospel and saving the lost, planting the seed, watering the seed if, the Bible, if God gives us the opportunity to do so. And forget about worrying about other people's intentions or what they're in it for, what their real motives are. Let's just work towards spreading the gospel. Paul says, the only thing that matters to me is that the gospel is preached. But then Paul mentions his uncertain future in Philippians 1 verse 19. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, Paul is facing a trial. He's in prison. He's facing a trial. And he kind of has one of two things he's going to have the opportunity to, to do. If he's found innocent of the crimes that he's been alleged of, then he gets to go preach the gospel some more. And if he's found guilty, he'll be executed. And he knew that he was either going to live or he was going to die, depending on the results of this trial. So he writes this in Philippians 1, verse 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And then what Paul says next is another passage we likely have memorized in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meditate on that. Think about that. If you had to write that passage, if you had to write that idea, what would it sound like? I what, what Paul is saying here is, if I live, I get to spread the gospel. I get to demonstrate Christ in my life. And if I die, well, I get to go to heaven. He's about to say that in the next passage. So if I live, it's to God's glory. And if I die... It's to God's glory. What would that sound like for us? For to me, to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind, everything I've worked for. For to me, to live is family and to die is to leave them alone. For me, to live is pleasure and to die is to miss out on all the fun. For me, to live is fame and to die is to quickly be forgotten. For me to live is power and influence and social status. But if I die, I become insignificant, forgotten. You know, just a few generations we're forgotten about. So what is it that we're working? You know, what what is it that we're worried about? One commentator says, uh, this passage is saying to me, to me, living means more opportunity for Christ and dying is even better. Then let's read Philippians 1, verses 22 through 24. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. There is a story that I had heard a while back about a little boy that wanted to go fishing with his dad. I think he was eight. And they were planning this fishing trip. And and the little boy was so excited. He got to use the new fishing pole. And he was so excited to go fishing with his dad. They were gonna go out on the boat and have a blast. And he was all all excited about it, as you know how kids get about things like that. And well the day of the fishing trip came and they woke up that morning, it was pouring down raining and lightning and just nasty, and the dad says, Son, I'm sorry. We're just not gonna be able to go today the boy was so upset. I mean, he was crabby. He was upset. He was just a bear the rest of the day, just whining and complaining about daddy won't take me fishing. Well, the dad knew it was lightning outside. If it was a little sprinkle, that might be different, but it was nasty. And the little boy was just complaining and complaining and griping and moaning and groaning. Well, after lunch, the storm had cleared up and it was nice, nice afternoon. And the dad said, you know, why don't let's go ahead and go fishing. It's not what we had planned, but we'll do it anyway. Let's just just go. And so they went fishing. They had a good fishing day. They caught a bunch of fish. And they came home and they cleaned up the fish. And that little boy was so excited because he caught some of those fish. And and, and they just had a good old time together. And so they uh, were cleaning the fish. They set the table to eat. And they were sitting down to eat. And the dad asked the little boy if he wanted to say the blessing for the food. And so the little boy said, yes, sir. And he bowed his head and said, God... If I was crabby earlier, I'm sorry. I just couldn't see what was coming ahead. And that's really the problem with us, with me. As many times we get in the, the situations we're in and they seem so doom and gloom and this is not what we planned for. This isn't where we were supposed to be. But we just don't see what's coming. Things may be, seem uncertain now like they did for Paul. But one day, if we're faithful, like Paul was faithful, it'll all be a, half, you know, a hindsight. Whether in this life, you know, we see that with Job. Job lost everything, yet the latter half, he was better off than the first half. So he got to experience the joys of his faithfulness in this life and the next. And it may be just the next life for some of us. You know, I may have to spend the whole rest of my life driving a $2,000 beater. But that's okay because I know that if I recognize the blessings of that and I live my life faithful to God, I'll have more riches in the next life than I could handle in this life. And those are the decisions that we make. I say that because that's my life. But what is it in your life? What is it in your life that you struggle with contentment? What is it in your life where you spend the majority of your time thinking about why this is bad or why this isn't according to my plans, instead of having the attitude like Paul and saying, I know this can all happen for the furtherance of the gospel, that I can show others my faith and my resolve and my contentment no matter what situation I'm in and use that as an example to leave for others. One day our problems aren't going to mean anything anymore. Before we close, there's some passages that I want to to look at 1st Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18 rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you Ephesians 4 verse 29 let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers Psalm 103 verses 2 through 4 bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor for it is the gift of God. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. How are things with you today? I asked you, if you would, to keep me in prayers as I strive to improve in my life in this regard. But maybe you need those same prayers as well. We're your brothers and your sisters. And we're happy to come together to encourage you, to, to show you the love of that relationship and the love that we share through a risen Savior. And he's happy to forgive you of those wrongs too and encourage you. Maybe you've not obeyed the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you've not followed the steps outlined in Scripture from example and direct command on how to have your sins washed away. Well, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you show repentance in your heart like the various people in the book of Acts did, and you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you make that good confession and you're ready to be baptized in water To have your sins washed away and therefore to be added to the church. We're happy to do that for you as well. In either case, please come, always stand and sing.